0: Good morning, everybody. If, uh, if you got your Bible with you, we're going to be primarily in Luke chapter 1 today. Uh, a couple of things as we get started this morning. Um, man, number one, what a great thought to start worship with this morning. Uh, you know, Leah, immediately when you started talking about, uh, she was referencing Revelation 13, 8, um, where it talks about... Um, how Jesus was slain before the creation of the world with, with the idea that God had us in mind. You know, I was thinking about what it made me think about was before I was a parent, I thought I understood the cost of being a parent, right? And if you are a parent today, you know what I'm talking about, or at least you've seen people raise kids, uh, and, and I know what that has cost me, and to think that God knew what it would cost him before he created us, and he was like, yeah, let's do this, man, just, doesn't that speak to the love that God had for us or has for us? Just, man, what a, that was good for my soul this morning. Um, I, I want to remind you, Leah mentioned, I, I, I told him this morning, I'm nervous um, because we, we've made a commitment to use these. I've been, I always use the Bible just so we're clear on that, um, but it's normally, I just have it digitally on my iPad, but I, I want to, I felt like God gave me the, 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 the goal for us to, to teach our kids how to use these, and one of the ways we do that is by role modeling it. And so I don't, last time I, I preached, I had it here and I had it here, and what I found myself doing was just reading it off the tablet, which is not what I said we were going to do. So I've highlighted the heck out of this thing today so that I'll know where I'm going to be at, and I encourage you to do the same. So we're going to look at Luke um, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25 today. Um, and... Um, we're going to look at some other passages as well. And if kids, if you have the outline, those scripture references are on the top. If you're not a kid and you want those references, let me know in the future and I'll print more copies and then you can have that so you can flip ahead. It's like we're going backwards. Remember old school days, you get that bulletin before church. I don't know if y'all were like this and you flip and you get all the references, put your, tear a little piece off, put it in as a bookmark. So anyway, we're going back there and I love it. Uh, I want to start this morning too by just saying a huge thank you to Kerry. Uh, did a fantastic job last week, man, setting this thing up and it, if you missed it, You would be doing yourself a huge disservice if you didn't go back and listen to the introduction that Carrie did last week to the book of Luke. Uh, I I can't even begin to describe how excited I am to dig into this book. I was listening to a podcast uh, this weekend uh, or this week about uh, Luke, in particular, um, and and I did not realize this. I guess ignorance is bliss, Um, but between the book of Luke and Acts, Luke has written over one third of the New Testament. And that's what we're about to attack. So I say that to say um, this is going to be a whole lot of fun. And, and I, I had a couple of things that I want to I remind us of this morning. Number one is that we are not in a hurry, right? Carrie kind of alluded to this once, maybe twice last week, right? Got a little wink, wink, wink written in my notes. Um, we're not in a hurry. Our whole goal is to discover the person and the mission of Jesus, and that's going to take what it takes, right? We think Jesus' ministry was about three years, and Luke wrote that all down in a book, so if it takes us three years this morning, that was a shower thought this morning, if it takes three years, it takes three years, and that's okay, because our goal is not to get done. Our goal is to know Jesus, and so we're going to move forward kind of as God uh, does it, and, and, and that's a lifelong process, right? Amen? Yeah? Craig, I appreciate the testimony this morning. I, I know from Craig's past that in, in in past times, it was a regular, every what Tuesday it was, y'all did door-to-door ministry where you go knock on doors and cold call. You remember telling me those stories, right? And now Craig is kind of rediscovering what it means to share the gospel and those same nervous feelings are kind of surfing again. And that's okay, that's part of it. We'll work that out as, as God is working in us because we're on a lifelong process. Number two, Luke's goal is for us to investigate or his goal was for him to investigate for himself the person of Jesus. And then he compiled this work so that we could have the benefit of all that research that he did. Our goal is the same as well. We want to discover the person of Jesus. And we want to allow God to challenge our preconceived ideas, the things that we already think we know about God, so that we can know him better. And I I was having a conversation with one of my kids this weekend, you know, the religious leaders, the one that Jesus was butting heads all the time, they thought they knew what it meant to be a follower of God. And Jesus came on the scene and let them know they did not understand it. And it would be incredibly hubris for us to assume that we know the person of Jesus, right? To the level that he wants us to know him. So our goal is to know him. And part of that process is going to be letting the Holy Spirit challenge what we think we know about Jesus and refleshing that out. Number three, God wants us to invite others on this journey. This is how Jesus did ministry, right? He literally would go find somebody new. He would reveal God to them and say, isn't that amazing? Follow me. I'm going to show you some more. That's the journey that we're on is to discover the person of God, to be in all who, who He is, and then invite other people along that journey with us and say, but I am discovering this person called Jesus who loves me so much that before we were even created, He made a plan to save us. Come, come discover this person with me. I intend to preach each week so that it doesn't require that people have been there. This is all going to be cumulative, but there's not going to be a test at the end that covers the whole thing. My goal is that each week we're going to kind of attack this thing from a fresh perspective so that if somebody comes in and and we're halfway through the study, they're not going to feel like they missed half of it, right? So I I just want you to have that confidence in the beginning that that is my intent. Um, And don't shy away from inviting people to join you. God wants us to experience this together Um, And we're going to see our church grow as God reveals himself. That's how it works. Okay? Um, These these first few chapters, as we dig in, we need to just kind of understand. They're narratives. They're packed with illusion. We've talked about illusion before, how, you know, how you, you, you'll hear a song and you're like, oh, that's from that movie, and then you can remember the scene from that movie, or sometimes it happens like for me, with smells in particular. I'll smell a smell and it brings me back to a place. Um, there's a particular Garth Brooks song, and when it comes on, I remember driving to Baton Rouge with my parents with egg on my sweater, okay? There's <laughs> way more details there than you need, but the point is, is we understand illusion, and what we need to understand is we're reading the book of Luke, that it's all a ton of illusion. It's a narrative story that's pointing back to things that God's already done and promises that God's already made. And so as we're looking at this narrative, we don't normally hit 20 verses at a time, right? Because we're used to going through different kinds of books. But we're reading a narrative. We're going to read a big chunk at a time. And if you want to read ahead in advance, I really encourage you to do that. Study that on your own. Your Bible's already subdivided into these chunks. And that's Pretty much what I'm going to follow week to week. So when we get done today, you just go to the next chunk, which is going to be Gabriel predicting Jesus' birth. You can read that and study it this week, and then we can come together and, and, and see what God's been teaching all of us. Okay? Last week, Carrie mentioned Luke's mastery of Greek and the Septuagint, which is the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament. And Luke shares these accounts of Jesus' life, and he packs them with these throwbacks to the Old Testament. And that's what we're going to look at today. Um, and you're, you're probably going to pick up on some of these as you read them. You're going to read some of this stuff and you're going to go, oh, wait a minute, hold on. I think I remember something about that. When you have those thoughts, go look it up. Go discover what it is that Luke's pointing to. And I'm, I made a Facebook post this week. If you look on the center margin or the center of your Bible or on the margins or down in the bottom, there's a ton of scriptural references for each verse. That's what Luke is pointing back to. If it's in the Old Testament, there's an illusion. Luke's calling our attention back to something. Follow those things out. Chase those rabbits and see what God has for you. All right, y'all ready? Yes? All right, let's pick up Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 20. We're going to read the whole thing and then we'll break it down. It says, in the day, is everybody ready? Y'all there? I don't want to read too fast. Okay, all right, here we go. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. "...his wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty, and he was serving as the priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense." At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zachariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zachariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. And there will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth." For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous. To make ready for the Lord and prepare the people. How can I know this, Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah "'amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. "'When he did come out, he could not speak to them, "'and they realized that he had seen a vision "'in the sanctuary. "'He was making signs to them and remained speechless. "'When the days of his ministry were completed, "'he went back home. "'After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived "'and kept herself in seclusion for five months. "'She said, "'The Lord has done this for me. "'He has looked with favor in these days "'to take away my disgrace among the people.'" Amen. So, Luke begins this book before Jesus' birth is announced. And this is very intentional. If you think back to some of our prior conversations, until this moment, Zachariah's encounter with the angel that Luke is describing, no prophet or man of God had spoken on God's behalf for 400 years. We've talked about that before. Remember, like, the United States is not 400 years old. It's a long time that God was not active. For Luke, this moment marks the beginning of the messianic age when God would not only return to his people, but in doing so he would begin to fulfill the promises that he made. Luke begins here because this visitation is the moment when God begins this new work, when he begins fulfilling this promise that he's made. And just the mention of the name Zechariah for the original readers of this, hearing that name Zechariah, which was a very popular name, by the way, by hearing the word Zechariah and the temple together, they would have remembered the prophet Zechariah, right? So we're going to go back and look at some of those throwbacks I was talking about. Um, This is, uh, this next chunk I'm going to read, if you have the ESV version, there's, in the study Bible, there's these chunks in the beginning that kind of summarize the book. I want to read a couple of these summaries this morning to kind of get us in the frame of mind of what Luke is talking about. It's going to help us understand. It says, As Haggai, this is a prophet before Zechariah, encouraged the returned Jewish exiles to, build, to rebuild the temple, Zechariah encouraged them to repent and renew their covenant with God. Such spiritual renewal would have been necessary for the people to be ready to worship God once the temple was rebuilt. He accused them of doing the very things their ancestors had done before the exile." He was concerned about social justice for widows, orphans, and foreigners. But as the people endured opposition from the non-Jewish inhabitants of Judea, Zechariah assured, assured them of God's abiding comfort and care. God would continue his covenant with Israel. Messianic hope was rekindled during Zechariah's ministry, and the book ends with the promise that the Lord would establish his rule over all the earth. Okay, So Luke is, is telling this story. And from the very beginning, he's talking about the birth of John the Baptist, the child of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And God shows this this man named Zechariah who was a priest in the temple. And that's not by accident. And he says, repent and renew their covenant with God. This is what the prophet Zechariah is telling the people. Repent and renew their covenant with God. It seems like that's something that we're going to hear from this new baby, right? John the Baptist. Here's the interesting thing. During the Babylonian exile, Israel is allowed to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, God's dwelling place on earth. That's what Zechariah and Haggai are talking about. The prophet Haggai calls the people out and they begin to do the work that God told them to do, which was was rebuilding the temple. The prophet Zechariah comes and tells the people that their sin patterns are the very same thing that caused the exile and the destruction of the temple in the first place. So Haggai calls the people back to rebuild the temple, and Zechariah's going, guys, the way you're acting right now is the very thing that caused us to be exiled and the temple to be destroyed, so we better get our stuff straight. He reminds them that God told their forefathers that if they would obey his commands, he would be their what? Their God, and they would be his people. Y'all remember talking about that in the book of Exodus. Zacharias, remember, them. guys, the things that God's been saying all along is still true. You want to be his people? Obey what he says to do. So the temple's completed, but God doesn't show up the way they expected him to. They complete the temple, they go through the temple dedication, and here's what they have in their minds. I want us to flip back. Uh, you don't have to look. It'll be up on the screen. This is 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. It says, when the priest came out of the holy place, the cloud filled the Lord's temple. This is talking about when Solomon built the temple, right? Solomon, son of David. David wanted to build the temple. God said, no, your son's going to do it. Solomon, wise, rich dude. We talked about him in Ecclesiastes. Builds this phenomenal temple. If you go back and read this story, like they killed so many sacrificial animals, they couldn't keep count of them. And at the end of that, it's described in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10 11. It says, when the priest came out of the holy place, the cloud filled the Lord's temple. And because of the cloud, the priests were not able to continue ministering for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So King Solomon's day, they build this, this temple like the world's never seen. They sacrifice all these animals in accordance to what God has said. The Lord's presence fills the temple so much that the people have to get out of it. And so now we're gonna fast forward to Zachariah's time. And they finish the building, and they're doing the dedication, and this is what they're looking for. They're looking for the same thing that happened when Solomon built his temple, but it, but it didn't happen. Nothing happened. Right after Zechariah the prophet Malachi, everybody's obviously bummed about the fact that God didn't show up the way they expected him to. And so God sends the prophet Malachi to tell them what's going on. It says, although the urging of, of Haggai and Zechariah had brought the completion of the temple. This had not produced the messianic age many expected. The warm response to Zechariah's call to repentance had grown cold because God apparently had not restored the covenant blessing. Malachi, writing a short time later, called the people to repentance with respect to the priesthood, which had come, become corrupt, worship, which had become routine, Divorce, which was widespread, social justice, which was being ignored, and tithing, which was neglected. Will man rob God, the Lord asked through Malachi. And he promised to open the windows of heaven for those who pay their full tithe. Malachi predicted the coming of both John the Baptist and Jesus, referring to each as a messenger of God. So what we're seeing here is that the sin that Israel had struggled with in the desert, under King Saul, under King David, under King Solomon, and all the other kings after that, that sin was still there. God's people over many generations had not changed. And as a result, they built the temple and God didn't show up because they were not obeying his commands. So God speaks through Malachi that he's going to send another prophet, one that would prepare the way for the Messiah. Look with me at Malachi chapter three, verses one. If you go Back to to the book of Matthew and turn back one more page, you'll be in the right spot, okay? So Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, see, I'm going to send my messenger. This is the prophet Malachi. See, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. If you flip one more page at the very end, these are the last two verses that the prophet Malachi says. It says, look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Does that sound familiar? And he will turn the hearts of their fathers and their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Seems like Gabriel said something like that just now, didn't he? So the prophet Isaiah says those last two things, and then 400 years of nothing, of silence. I wanted to go through all that because Luke is setting the stage for us, right? You go to a play, and they set the stage, right? Unless it's a black box theater, and there's nothing in there. They're just watching actors. But Luke is setting the stage. He's saying, look, 400 years ago, God said this is what was going to happen, And right here, this is it. So 400 years of nothing, God's people are continuing to just do what they do. And Zechariah walks into the temple to do his thing. And then God shows up. So Luke wants us to understand some things. Here's the application God has got for us. Number one, God works in the circumstances of our lives to complete his mission. I want to say that again. God works in the circumstances of our lives to complete his mission. One of the commentaries I, I read said that there were usually around 3,000 priests at any given time working in the temple. So literally for Zachariah, this is a once-in-a-lifetime moment. This is the only shot he's ever going to get. And it says that they they did this by casting lots, and that was a normal way of them discerning, you see that a lot in the Old Testament, of discerning God's will. This was a common practice. His job was to go into the Holy of Holies, and they had incense that they burned on the altar. He cleaned off the old incense, the ash from the old incense, put new incense in, and lit it. It was very quick, wasn't going to be in there a long time. But that's what he, that's the lot that he, remember the Holy of Holies, that's where the presence of God was said to live, and you only went in there once a year. That's why I'm saying this is a lifetime opportunity for Zachariah. So he's going in to do his priestly duty, his job, and I want to make that clear. Zachariah was going to do his job, and God sends an angel, Gabriel, with a message from God. So Zachariah is doing the work that God called him to do. Are you picking up on that? Okay. God is going to work in you in the work that he's called you to do. He was, Zachariah said he was righteous, but that doesn't mean sinless, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But he's living intentionally to be as righteous as he can. And I want you to hear this, church, that whatever God has called us to in this place, whatever God's called you to in your life, that is the place he intends to show up and work. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what your hobbies are. Whatever God has called you to do, that's the place he intends for you to show up. That's the place he intends to show up and work through you. That's significant. For a lot of years, I've shared this with you guys. I struggled with working a full-time job separately because I thought this is where I needed to be. I need to be working in the church. I need to be sharing the gospel on a daily basis. And then God puts me in this other job where I'm doing gas station stuff. And it's like, what do you got? What? I thought you t- called me to ministry. What it took me forever to figure out is what Luke is describing right here. God's called you to a job. That job could be a teacher. That job could be a traveling design guy like Alex is doing right now. He's all stressed out about it, as I understand. like That's a big deal. God told you to do that. That's where God intends to show up. That's cool. That's significant. Look again at at what God was doing through Zechariah. Look at verses 10 through 17 again says, at the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. Right? 400 years of nothing. You go in to do your job, and there's an angel standing there. Shocking, to say the least. Wasn't expected. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John, There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous." to make ready for the Lord and prepare the people. Man, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's almost like that's what Malachi was saying. God was going to do. And now Gabriel's here saying, "Hey Zechariah, that thing that Malachi said, that's happening. That's going to be your son. God's going to send another Elijah, and he's going to prepare the people." Matthew in his gospel, records the fact that Jesus even says this about John the Baptist. Flip back with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 10 through 14. Jesus says this He says, This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, he will prepare the way before you. Truly I tell you, those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least of the kingdom of heavens is greater than he is. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence. And the violent have been seizing it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. If you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. So even Jesus is testifying. This, this guy, this John the Baptist, this guy in the wilderness, that's the guy God was talking about through Malachi. So this is what Gabriel is telling Zechariah. Your son that you haven't had yet, a wife that's old, we'll talk about that in a minute, that guy is going to be the new Elijah. Remember, Zechariah says he's righteous. It doesn't say he's sinless. One of the commentaries that I read said Zechariah's response, though coming from a pious man is very human. He does not take the miraculous as a matter of course. He, he has a natural objection to the promise that they will receive a child their old age. Zechariah understands the basics of biology and aging. He and his wife are past their prime. Zechariah gets it. He, he understands the biology. He understands that it's just not going to work. Common sense and basic biology agree that what Gabriel is saying is not going to work. But remember, church, what we've talked about the last couple of weeks, that God's going to call us to do some crazy things, some things that are outside of common sense. Zachariah makes the same mistake that we sometimes make when God speaks. God gives us a word, and we think things like, God, are, are, are you sure about that? God, uh, God are, are you sure that that will work the way you're saying it's going to work? Look at verses 18 and 19. And let's look at Zachariah's response. See if we identify with that. Zechariah says, How can I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. That's such a polite way of saying that, isn't it? My wife is well along in years. Guys, don't say that ever. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. Listen, Zechariah's question sounds innocent, but it's not. It's not innocent. You probably remember Mary asking something similar. We read that recently with Christmas. We'll talk about that later because her response is different than his, but often our minds just, they stick them together. Zachariah is asking. He's using, Luke used, remember we talked about how good Luke was with the Greek language? He is using a Greek word here that we are, when he says, how can I know? That root word, we are super familiar with. Guess what it is? Gnosko. He's saying, in essence, how can we possibly experience this because my wife is so old? How can we possibly experience this? He is saying to Gabriel, This is not doable. Hey, we got an escapee. <laughs> All right, we're back. You all ready? That was a fun distraction. Zechariah is asking, how could this possibly happen? The biology won't work. Just not gonna, it's just not going to happen. This is another allusion to many stories that Zechariah, a priest whose profession is knowing the words of all the old prophets, would have been immediately familiar with. I didn't, we're not going to read all these, but I listed them out on the outline if you want to go look at them later. How about Abraham and Sarah? Remember Abraham's response to the angel? My wife is too old. Or Isaac and Rebecca, who was barren, and God gave her a child. Jacob and Rachel, Hannah, all of those women, barren, past the age of normal birth, giving abilities, and God did something Miraculous. And so that question that Zachariah asked the angel, while we look at it, and, it, and initially it looks innocent, it's not, because he should have known better. This guy of all guys would have remembered, that literally was his job, was to remember those stories so that he could pass it to the next generation. And the angel shows up and he says, hey, your wife's going to have a baby. And he's like, no, nah, bro, that's not how it works. We're out. Church, just because our, our lives don't look like everyone else's Doesn't mean that we've done anything wrong, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. Zechariah and Elizabeth, it says, Luke tells us that they were righteous. There was nothing in their life that God said, nope, you're not having babies. Here's what Luke wants us to understand. Here's what God wants you to understand. That whatever the circumstance of your life is right now, God is working for your blessing. Just because you don't have the things that you want, doesn't mean that God's not going to give it to you at some point. Don't judge your life right now, or in the future, based on what you can see. For for Zechariah and Elizabeth, having a baby that was out of the door, that was out of the window, not going to happen. God says, "No, you're not right. You're going to have a baby. Not only you're going to have a baby, you're going to have like almost the baby. You're going to have John the Baptist." Point number two for today is that other people are going to notice God's work in believers' lives. God's going to notice, or the people around you are going to notice God's work in your life. Even though Zacharias struggled with disbelief, church, God still used him. Gabriel doesn't say, oh, you you don't believe me? Okay, never mind. We'll find somebody else. Even in the midst of his disbelief, Now, God deals with his disbelief. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But even in the midst of his disbelief, God still used Zechariah. I want us to just pause for a minute and soak this in. It's easy to forget because it's so different from what we experience in everyday life. That God's view of us does not change when we don't get it. I don't care how long you've been a believer, the pattern is the same. Regardless of how well you know God, your faith is going to be challenged. And where you are right now, if you're a brand new believer or you've been a believer your whole life, there is more for you to learn. And if you were a believer today or you've been a believer for 40 years, God's grace is the same. And when we struggle with unbelief, it does not mean that God is displeased with us. We grow when what we currently know is challenged by what we don't know. Right, teachers? We grow when we learn new information, and often in our lives, we think we have all the information. Zachariah is thinking about his wife going, God, I know all the information. I've been married to this woman my whole life. It's not possible anymore. We look at our own lives, and we say, God, I know you spoke this thing, but it's not possible, and God's saying, I'm not done yet. Our faith grows as God challenges us to step into the unknown, and we walk in obedience to that. God used this revelation to begin laying the groundwork for Zachariah and Elizabeth's son about who he would be. Look at verses 20 through 22 again. He says, now listen, you'll become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And it says, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah were amazed that he stayed in the sanctuary so long. So Zechariah has this experience with God. And the people that are outside that are praying for him, they don't know what just happened inside because they're outside. But they know something happened because the circumstances of his life are automatically altered, right? Zechariah went in, talking, hearing, came out, not that also was in there a lot longer than he was supposed to. People noticed God's activity in his life. And the God, and, and, and people are going to notice God's activity in your life. As you encounter Jesus, as you learn more about who he is, you are going to be altered by that. And people are going to notice it. We have to take note here that even though Zachariah's faith was not where it needed to be, God still did what God said he was going to do. God's ability to work in our lives is only dependent upon God, not on us. Our inabilities don't handcuff God's abilities. You hear what I'm saying? Now, how that works for us may be more complicated, but our level of faith does not hold God back. God still works through us, and he's going to do that in a way that grows our faith. Every time God works in your life, he's going to do it in a way where you learn something new about who he is so that you can trust him more. God worked in Zachariah's life to reveal himself, and he did it by shutting his mouth and his ears. The circumstances surrounding God's revelation and work in Zachariah's life caught the attention of all the people that were around him at the temple. And my hope, my prayer for my own life is that my personal growth with Jesus would be noticed by other people. Not because I want them to look at me and go, man, that will, that, that dude's got, that's a good preacher right there. No. My hope is that people look at my life and go, what's different about him from everybody else? Something's different. I want the same thing for you. Now, Luke doesn't spell this out, but I think we can safely infer that Zachariah's experience in the temple was the talk of the town, right? Don't you think that's a safe inference that, that Zachariah goes into the temple and then he comes out and he can't hear and he can't talk. It doesn't say that right here, but it says it later. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks. But Zechariah is deaf and mute when he comes out of the temple. I think people would have talked about that. And it tells us later in Scripture that when, when they name John the Baptist, we'll talk about this again in, in a couple of weeks, that he writes on a tablet. And we'll talk about what that, what that looks like next in a couple of weeks. But, but the point is, is that Zechariah was still able to communicate if rudimentary. And so they know that something happened in the temple. And I'm confident that Zachariah told him an angel showed up in the temple. And remember the setting, the backdrop that Luke's laid for us, it's been 400 years since that happened. People are talking about this. This is a big deal. Now Luke doesn't tell us if they, and I don't think that they do, and we'll talk about how I know that in a minute, or how I think I know that. He doesn't tell them all the stuff. He doesn't tell them about John the Baptist, the new Elijah, all of that. But he tells them that something happened. Again, this is more illusion, but it was common knowledge that God reveals himself through angels in the past. And so when Zechariah tells all the people that are waiting outside that an angel just appeared, he's got their attention. Luke's leading us right into kind of the final point I have for this passage. And that is that the promises of God always come true. If God tells you he's going to do something, he will do it. You ever ever noticed in every Disney movie, or really any movie really, that there's a a hope or a dream for something? Pick the movie. The movie starts out there's a hope, there's a dream about something. We're going to a place. We're going to do a thing. And somewhere along the way, things change. And it begins to look like that dream, that hope could never be a reality. We can't get there. And at some point in the movie, movie, Usually at the climax, all of a sudden something changes and the hope is realized, but it's even greater than it was before. You know what I'm talking about? Pick your movie. It's there. This is what we see in the scripture. That storyline wasn't just dreamed up by some writer for Disney or or, or director or whatever, or author. We see that storyline in scripture over and over again. We see that same storyline in our lives often. From the outset, the story of God's people, God makes this promise that he will He will redeem his people, right? Remember that? Adam and Eve, they sin. God says, one day, I'm going to send one who can strike the serpent's head. Remember that? Okay. So everything's perfect. We're living with God. Sin enters the world. It looks like everything is hopeless, and God makes a promise. One day, I'm going to send one who's going to redeem my people. That's the storyline of of us as God's people. Hope, joy, everything's perfect. Everything goes really, really wrong. There's hope again. We're, we're witnessing the moment of that climax, that moment when everything begins to change, when that glimmer of hope shows back up. God was working in Zachariah and Elizabeth's life to fulfill the promise. And what they need to realize, and what we need to realize, is that God wants to work in our lives to fulfill his promises. What I'm trying to say is, This is our opportunity to be a Disney princess. Okay? All of our dreams can come true. (laughs) All of our dreams can come true. If we will do what? Obey God. He wants to fulfill our promises. Church, our lives are filled with tension. There are things that we struggle with. There are promises that God has made that we cannot see how in the world he's going to accomplish it. This is where Zachariah and Elizabeth are at this point in God's narrative. And this may be where you find yourself in your own personal story. That God has spoken a thing and you're looking at it going, God, there's, I, I just don't see how it's possible. There's no way. If you find yourself in the midst of that tension, I want to encourage you. Luke wants to encourage you to just have faith, to be patient. Let this work of God challenge what you know with what you don't know. Let God work in your life in a way that you don't expect. Whatever God has spoken may seem impossible, but what we're going to discover as we study this book, as we read through the book of Luke, is that God does the impossible just to show the world who he is. And that power is not limited to the pages of this book. That power is going to happen in your life if you will pursue the Lord and let him do his work. God wants to work in our lives in such a way that the world takes notice, that they see his activity, We keep going back to this Matthew chapter five verses sixteen. I'm gonna flip back there. I read this a couple of weeks ago, and God just keeps bringing this verse back up. Says, "This is where Jesus is talking about being salt and light." It says, "In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven." That's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants us to be salt and light. He wants to work through our lives so that people will see our good works and know that it's the glory of God. The whole point that Luke is trying to make in this opening narrative, the reason it is here is to show that God was doing what he said he was going to do. God was keeping his promise. Now, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they may not know the whole story yet, but what God was doing is what he spoke through Malachi, and that they do know. God was bringing forth the one that would prepare the way for the Messiah. The Messiah. They knew a little bit, at least, but not the whole thing. Look at these last two verses in 23 and 25. It says, when the day of his ministries were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. And she said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. At this point, Zachariah and Elizabeth have figured out in some ways, you can tell by her response, what God's up to. They had this message from the angel, and now they've had time to ponder on all of this and kind of make the mental, connect, the mental connections of, wait a minute, God said this to Malachi and this is what he said through the angel to Zachariah man could this, could this be it could, could our son John be the Elijah can you imagine sitting at home with your significant other going man is this the thing that is this really the thing that God spoke in light of what they've seen what they've heard what they've experienced all they can do is praise God and say thank you for this work Church, wherever you find yourself today in your faith journey, don't be discouraged because things don't look the way you want them to. God is working in your life and He will reveal Himself through it. Our role in this process is to watch, to listen, to obey, and to just wait for God to do what only He can do. We don't have to force it. As we do that, the world will take notice. And God will be glorified through our lives. There's a theme that we're going to see develop as we study this book. I was talking to Carrie about it the other day. Jesus' activity in people's lives reveal God's character. People see it. They're drawn to it. They experience it for themselves. And it changes their life forever. We're going to see that play over and over and over as Luke unfolds the story of the person of Jesus. Church, the same will be true in our lives. If we will pursue the Lord, listen to what he says, walk in obedience and wait for him to work. When that happens, people are going to see God's activity in our lives. God is going to be revealed to them. They're going to be drawn to it. They're going to seek their own experiences. God's going to reveal himself to them. And their lives are going to be changed by God's activity. And it's going to start with you letting God work in your life. I titled this, this message, A Voice in the Wilderness. Because that's what John is going to be, right? We know that. We're familiar enough with Scripture. But I also titled it that because that's God's call for us. It's to be a voice in the wilderness, To go where he's called us to work. To doing the mundane job that he's asked us to do. And to let him work in our lives. To let him show up and work where we work. Where we do life. So that we can experience him. And so the people around us can experience him as well. So that they can see the true character of God. Be drawn to it. Have their own experience. And have their life changed forever. Just like you've had yours changed forever. That's God's goal for us. Be a voice in the wilderness. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for the richness of this study. God, I'm, I'm thankful for the, the joy that you've given me in, in studying your word and connecting all these dots. Father, I ask that, that starting this afternoon, as soon as we get done with here, Father, you'd put a desire in every person's heart to know you deeper than they already do. Father, that you would work in our lives in such a way that you reveal yourself to us and reveal yourself to the people around us. God, I know that we, we could go out and we could try to manufacture that and make ourselves look like something. God, I, I want to pray against that. I want to ask that you would draw each of us individually to yourself, that you would put a passion in our lives, to just know you. God, that we couldn't, we we get to a place where we just can't get enough of your word. Father, I ask that for myself, and I ask that for my brothers and sisters in this room. Father, reveal yourself to us. Show us places in our everyday life where you want to show up and work. And let us be a part of that. Jesus, I ask these things in your name. Amen.